All right, welcome back to another episode of Systemically Distorted Communication. The Shalvin trial is over, and we got the verdict. So, a few things. First off, I was talking before about... Uh, I was talking about how I thought it would... Uh, highly likely that it could be a hung jury, but I didn't quite see being innocent, but definitely not guilty on all all charges. Apparently, I was completely wrong. So, in record time, I think, what, 10 hours of deliberation, they came back with a verdict, guilty on all charges. I was pretty surprised by this. Uh, I'm especially surprised when you, when you break it down and you look at the, uh, the words in each of those charges, which I've gone through on the previous ones. I'm not going to go over them again. It's just very surprising to me. Uh, especially the felony one. And the thing that I can't really get over, and I mean, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but for that felony charge, you would have to, he would have to have been committing a felony either way. So if Floyd didn't die, would that have been a felony by him putting his knee there uh, and holding him down? <clears throat> this is really hard to argue because I, police do this all the time. So curious where that line crosses when it's a felony. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we get into the debates of, well, when he's unconscious and, and whatnot, but I don't know. I just, I just thought it was weird, but I've spent probably the last week getting called racist about a thousand times for trying to just, uh, discuss the options and how this came to be trying to be, speak honestly with people online is very bad idea in case you were thinking about trying it. Um, but some of the things that I think factored into how it's possible that there was guilty on all three charges, I do think that it was a mistake to have the trial in this in that location. Uh, you had members of the jury that lived in kind of the hot zone where there's rioting, yeah, and they had to then the jury members had to drive through uh, <clears throat> riots to get to the trial each day. I I think it's impossible to say that doesn't influence people, especially if they're living there and they know the destructions that the destruction that's going to come if they happen to give the wrong answer. And then you have politicians out there talking about uh, getting more confrontational. If you haven't heard Maxine Waters, which, you know, I find this a little bit odd. And, you know, Trump apparently, uh, Trump apparently caused an insurrection against the government by saying uh, that we need to fight like hell in the context of an entire speech where he's clearly talking about all the legal avenues that they're using and what they're trying to do. And then he says that you need to fight like hell. And within that same speech, he says, march peacefully and patriotically and let your voices be heard. That was uh, incitement. But <clears throat> Maxine Waters goes to a place where they're destroying a city, burning things down. People are getting injured, complete destruction. She says we need to get more confrontational. Um Somebody sent me like the definition of confrontational, saying that or claiming that confrontational is doesn't mean violent, but if you look at the definition, it it does. So uh, telling me that confrontational doesn't mean violence, and it it kind of does if you have to look at the context of the situation. So if you look at the definitions, tending to deal with situations in an aggressive way, hostile or argumentative. So they're saying, oh well, this can mean many things. The argumentative is like the get-out-of-jail-free card there. But no, she said more confrontational. 
and they're already destroying a city. So if you're going to become more confrontational, you don't go from burning down buildings to saying, let's dial it back and let's just start arguing now. So there's a clear context going on here and telling people to get more confrontational. And uh, The left just won't, doesn't seem to want to condemn her, especially the leaders, saying that she has nothing to apologize for. Yet Trump did something so horrible um, because his extremist group, that group of extremists go and uh, attack the Capitol. It's, uh, it just seems hypocritical. And, of course, one party is not going to want to call out their leader when they know the other party is not going to call out theirs. And so we have this situation where people are just refusing to be honest. Um, in my opinion, I, I really don't think saying march peacefully and patriotically was a call to violence whatsoever, especially in the context of the speech he was giving it. But when you've got places burning down and then you go tell those same people to be more confrontational, I think that's directly related to more violence and chaos. So basically we have a population of people that want to condemn the police no matter what. And what's going to happen when we do that? You're going to lead to more black deaths. It's the thing that I... It's, it's like the, their cause, the exact thing that they're fighting for is the exact thing that they're causing. And I, I just don't understand how people don't get that, how, we, how they don't see that. Uh, what was it, from 2014 to 2019... Um, in 2014 to 2019, there's a 1,000 to 6, death increase in the major cities where they have these Black Lives Matter movements and Ferguson uh, issues, you know, since it started back in 2014. So, when you eliminate the police, homicide goes up. Like, I, I don't, crime goes up. I don't understand why it's so difficult to understand that. I, it, it's very confusing to me. So even yet last year alone, 34 of the biggest cities in America had a 30% increase in homicide. And some of them were up as high as 75% increase. But black lives matter. But you want to eliminate the police, which are the biggest thing that's stop violence from happening in these minority communities because there's a fraction of the deaths from them. A fraction. It's a very small amount compared to the crime that's actually happening in these communities. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I know what's going to happen. We can already see. It's already happened. You have places defunding the police. Crime skyrockets. Then you have those places trying to get more funding for the police once again. I, it's, it's just so short-sighted that people latch on to this idea that the police are systemically racist and hunting down black people in the streets. There's no data to suggest that. And any data that does suggest that, it's partial data. You have to look at everything. You have to look at the context of the crime, who's committing the crime, are the victims, are the victims calling the police. When you break it all down, the amount of population, how much of that population is committing a crime versus the other populations. But all of this is racist. I'm not allowed to say any of this. I'm, I'll go into this another time. But it, it's just so frustrating because if you wanted to save black lives, 
you wouldn't just want to save the ones that are being killed by police. You'd want to save them all. And in order to save them all, you need more funding for police. You need better training. When police (laughs) leave an area, the crime goes up. You can see it over and over in the cities that are trying to do this defunding. I would suggest anyone to to look it up. Just go ahead and Google or DuckDuckGo, probably better. Uh, You know, cities in the United States that defunded the police. Look at those cities, then look at their homicide rates and compare before and after. Um, But make sure the defunding has kicked in yet. So some places uh, did the defunding and it hasn't even taken place yet. So you want to make sure you look at a location where it went into effect and they laid off large amounts of police officers. What I think I was reading, I think it was in Portland. I, I could be wrong on this. I'm just going from memory, but I was reading from Portland. They're under 700 police officers and they're 500 below like their minimum where they, what they should have. I think this was Portland anyway, and crime skyrocketing there. Uh, and of course, Antifa is destroying Portland, but you never hear about it in the media because of course, Antifa doesn't exist. So anyway, that's all good fun. You give it to the police, crime goes up. But that's just my two cents on that. Uh, getting back to this trial, uh, we all so <clears throat> uh, one of the jury members came out and said that she feared for what could happen if they gave the wrong decision. That she was afraid that rioters or protesters would come to her house and then they'd be in danger and whatnot. So I think there's certainly grounds for mistrial. I've been hearing people talking about that. I don't know what's going to happen with it. There, I, I know that there are grounds for a mistrial, but this case is so high profile, I don't know if it can happen. I don't know if a fair trial can happen in this situation. Um, I, I think, one, the judge messed up. He should have moved the trial out of there so that you don't have community members of that area on the jury. And they, the jury should have been sequestered the entire time. I, I think it's nonsense that you're going to go to a, a trial that's this high profile, and every night you're going to go home and you just says, stay off the Internet. Remember, don't watch the news, and just trust that these people that are making a decision on someone else's life uh, are just going to follow that, and there's no way to check up on it whatsoever. So I don't disagree that uh, Chauvin was guilty in some aspects, but guilty of all three charges just doesn't make sense to me based on the way that those laws are written and the definitions when you break them down and what those words mean. However, this jury member uh, was an alternate, so uh, she did not know she was on alternate until they went to do deliberations, and then the judge called her out. I think she was uh, jury number 96 or something, and then she found out she was going to be an alternate. So she had gone through the whole trial and expected to make the decision, but then didn't. But she did confirm that if she had been on the jury uh, making the decision, she would have said that he was guilty, and she thought the prosecution did a good enough job to convict him, and that Chauvin did play a lead role in uh, causing the death of Floyd, and then she went into explaining why that necessarily was, and she put a lot of emphasis into Tobin, and I actually found Tobin to be one of the strongest as well, but he also said some things that I felt were a a bit contradictory of reality, like when he said any healthy person would die from this, when I know for a fact that's not true, and 
uh, a few other things about using the knuckles on the tire in the uh, in the closing statements. The defense kind of referenced this: the knuckles on the tire and the leg kicking up. He was saying that this was Tobin was saying that this was him starving for oxygen, but the defense went back and showed the clip. That was right once he hit the ground. Um, and, and so at that point, they had been on the ground for a while after that, so he wouldn't have been starved for oxygen. So there were certain things in Tobin's testimony that just weren't true, um, or maybe they were approached from a bias standpoint. I, I don't know what it is, but it would have been more beneficial to point those things out during the trial with Tobin on the stand, I think, then in closing statements. But as I said, uh, this verdict didn't mean anything. It didn't change anything. Uh, you still have people like AOC getting online saying, well, this actually didn't mean anything about justice. This isn't proof of the justice system working. Uh, it doesn't mean anything for the bigger picture. Uh, <clears throat> so it is what I said it was going to be. It is what I thought it would be. You still have people protesting, uh, saying it doesn't really mean anything. It's just, just one situation. They're still destroying cities. They're still uh, going crazy about it. They still will not vacate the, uh, the George Floyd Autonomous Zone. And as I said before, as soon as the next thing happens, it'll just be all over again. And, you know, just that day, we have this the police officer. Uh, I don't have any of the names here. I'm, I'm spacing on the names, but... We have two girls fighting. One of them has a knife. The officer, in a split second, she's going to swing the knife. You see the knife in her hand. He shoots her, uh, saving this other person's life, potentially. And everyone's going crazy about that. So uh, it, it, it just doesn't matter. The evidence doesn't matter. The reality of the situation doesn't matter. Any interaction between cops and someone that... Uh, or any, but between any uh, white cop and black suspect or person, anything that has any sort of negative result will automatically be racist, and it's automatically due to the corrupt, uh, systemically racist system. But the statistics don't matter. Nothing matters because the narrative will always be at the front, and people don't do their own research. They watch the news. They follow what it says. They don't research. They don't look at the numbers. They follow people like LeBron James, who doesn't know what he's talking about and says stuff that's factually inaccurate all the time, uh, to be their leaders instead of doing their own research. And we can't trust the media anymore because they're certainly not going to tell you the truth. There's a reason why uh, in the poll not long ago, uh, liberals were, were asked how many unarmed black men are killed per year. And the answer is like overwhelmingly thinking it's in the thousands. There's a reason for that because the media runs with these stories and they're extremely bit dishonest. Talking about black men are dangerous, uh, in danger just walking through the street and that the police are out hunting them. Stuff like this when really the numbers actually for each year, it kind of depends, but it ranges from 15 to 25 total unarmed. Um, but you've got 90 something percent of liberals thinking it's in the thousands. Actually, that number 90%, I, I can't remember if that's um, completely accurate, but I believe it was in the 85 to 90% range. And then you have, uh, the, 
the reason for that is then based on another poll asking where they get their news from, and I do want to do an episode on this later, uh, the high majority of liberals admit to getting their news from largely uh, liberal exclusive sources. And then conservatives, it's like a 60-40 split or something like that. They're listening to liberal and conservative. So you get these, in these liberal circles, you get this echo chamber where they're only hearing one side and they're trusting that it's true. And, and it's, it's unfortunate because I think liberal ideals are not bad. Uh, and I think there has been a shift in the parties as well to where, you know, maybe 10 years ago I would be more considered more on the left, but today, because I, I do agree with a lot of liberal principles, but now I'm, because I try to look at stuff honestly and break stuff down with evidence and statistics, I'm pushed over on the right. Uh, and, you know, people online will repeatedly call me racist if I give my actual opinion on uh, statistics or evidence that happens when I'm watching a video and I see a knife and, well... The officer has a couple options. He can shoot. He can try to speak to the person who's mid-swing with that knife. He can try to run 10, 15 yards in under a second and catch the knife in the hand and do a super martial arts move and incapacitate the person. He could run in and try to stop it and get stabbed in the jugular and die. Um, he could run away. He could pull out his taser and shoot which has a very low success rate, especially in a situation like that. Or it has a, a high failure rate, so it's not something that you want to risk doing if someone else's life is on the line. You could aim at the legs and miss. There was on another podcast I talked about the accuracy rate of um, elite shooters in high-pressure situations, and it's around 17 18%. So people are just not being realistic about what's going on and and whatnot. So I, I could keep rambling on about this. I'm not going to. Uh, anyway, I'll keep my eyes open, seeing what happens with uh, if there's an appeal. Like I said, I'm not sure that will go anywhere just because the case is too high profile. I don't necessarily think we can get an honest, fair trial at this point. And I'm not saying that from the perspective that Chauvin is innocent and he shouldn't be in jail. I think he did something wrong and I think he's guilty on some accounts, but that doesn't change the fact that that the trial wasn't fair. It it just wasn't. You can't have jury members from that community who are scared driving through riots every day, knowing what's going to happen if they make the wrong decision and then have that not weigh on them and their decision. It's just not realistic. And I think having guilty on all three charges speaks to that because I, I, in my opinion, when I break it down, I cannot fathom how it was all three charges guilty. And I could be wrong, and maybe I'm just not talking to the right people that can, you know, break it down and convince me, and I'm happy to listen if someone wants to do that. But I'm going to leave it at that uh, for today. And uh, And yeah, I hope you enjoyed. And hopefully you made it through the last three weeks without too much trouble. Until next time, enjoy.